0: All right. So in, in in Luke 2, we have that story. That story is very familiar to us. Um it it's talking about the um what what happened with the shepherds and the angels and 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 uh, something that is so easy for us to read and just pass on by without really thinking about or contemplating in in any sort of a way. And and for the next couple Sundays what I want to talk about is worshiping the king this Christ this Christmas. And so it leads me to a simple question because this one of the centerpieces of this is that it says the angels are saying that, that I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. When's the last time you experienced joy? Not, not happiness, you know, but something that's deeper, a deep joy, the kind that's hard to contain, the kind that you get so excited, it just, it just leaks out of you. You can't, you can't hold it in, right? And it's a tough question because I know for me, I don't experience that kind of joy very often as often as I should, and probably for others too, you sense that. I can remember, you know, when I was a kid, I can remember growing up and, you know, you're in elementary school and, and uh, hearing the weather reports and just praying and hoping for a snow day, right? And, 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 and back then it actually had to really snow for people to actually get a snow day, not kind of like it is now. There's a threat of snow and we all just, just scream and run for shelter, and and that's a that's an easy bash. I shouldn't actually say that, but I can remember sometimes early in the morning the, the the report wouldn't come out, and you'd have to watch your local news until like five or six a.m. and 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 my mom would come and tell me it's a snow day. You don't have to go. And I'd look outside and there's all this snow, and I would get so excited, and and I would already have things uh, um, set out. I mean, I was kind of a goof that way sometimes I'd have you know these really good gloves and I would take a little bit of a candle and I'd wax the runners on my sled so that it would just go so fast and uh, when and when schools came it was just like yes yes there is a god snow day and we'd go out and for those of you especially for those of you who have been spent more time in a cold climb you, you go out and it's freezing cold and you got these gloves and after a while your gloves are wet and your boots are wet and your feet are wet and they're freezing and they hurt And you're all the time waiting, but I'm going to have more fun. I can endure it. And you'd sled a few more times and climb the hill and sled until finally it was just agony. And when you'd go home and it was such a joyous moment knowing when it was a snow day. It was awesome. I got to be honest with you, even now, sometimes in our area, when they declare a day off for snow, I'm like, yes, wait, (sighs) I still go to work. You know, I still get excited, though. It's just such an exciting thing. And it's this sense of that, that I would experience this, this, and it was unfortunately very momentary, but it was a joy. And you know what? Isn't it funny how oftentimes kids experience joy way more than adults do? They get that hard to contain, crazy leaking out of them, happy feet kind of joy over things that you go, ooh, not a big deal, right? But it is to them, and our problem is we've grown up. We've grown up and we've lost joy. We're like Peter Pan or something, you know? And and so the second question I think about is, how much joy do I have today? Right now on the joy scale, where am I? And I know you can think, well, this is great, Bob. You say you're going to talk about joy and you're actually depressing all of us because we don't have that joy that you're, you're building up in front of us. But Christmas is about good news of great joy. And so if we're missing joy, it's because somehow we're missing the news. We don't understand it, or we've become too used to it. We've grown up to it, and it's just kind of it, the thing. And so I think about this. They said this is good news. It will cause great joy for all people to these shepherds. But good, great news for all people. I mean, it's just for them back then. No, of course not. It's for us. And I think the key for us is here is we're going to take a short look at the Christmas story over a few weeks, and we're going to focus on this, this joy and, and, and worshiping, because they're intimately tied. You can't break those apart. And that is how we begin to experience the great joy that they knew back then and that is still available now. Now, especially around the church, we tend to think of worship as exclusively what we do when we attend a service, and that is a part of worship. That's called corporate worship. And the Bible does command us not to neglect corporate worship. He says you have to gather together regularly with believers, and worship. But that's not the extent of worship. Because if you look at Scripture, the definition is is much bigger than that, much more exhaustive. In, In Romans 12, 1, a familiar verse for a lot of people I know, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer yourself. This is the worship I'm calling you to. Your bodies, your everything, he's saying give it to Him. That's the worship. That's a kind of worship. So a simple definition of worship. I want to give this to you. Worship is responding to God for who He is and what God has done for us. Worship is the response for us beginning to understand who God is and what He's done for us. It is the natural response. It's not an unnatural response. It's a very natural response, that type of worship. And if you look at Scripture, the definition of worship is so much bigger. It's, it's so huge. And, and, and this is just a very simple definition. We could fill it out even more. And so as we look at the Christmas story and we start to think about this, we have all these different players. We have Mary, right? We have Joseph. We have the Magi. We have the angels. And these characters are all responding to God for who He is and for what He has done in the birth of this child, His son, Jesus. They're responding. The angels are responding. They see it, and they just can't help themselves. They sing. And what happens? The glory shown round about their Why? It leaks out. God's glory just leaks out when His people do joyful celebration, when His people live in joy. And so how do they respond? Mary sings her song. We have that. We, uh, this, this beautiful song that Mary writes, and then the magi, they bring their gifts. The, the shepherds, what are, what are they, they can't stop telling people. They're telling everyone. There's this mysterious little boy that just keeps playing his drum, you know, and the kid, obviously, he's never been around a newborn before. When our kids uh, were younger, once one Christmas, we decided to give them all a musical present. A lot of them were very very musical. And so Derek um, got a guitar, and Holly got a big keyboard. Reagan, (laughs) I think Reagan got a little recorder. was like, ugh, we missed on that one. And uh, our son Cody got a drum set. And uh, so so Christmas afternoon, we're outside, our neighbors come out, and we're saying, hey, how are you? you, know, blah, blah, blah. I say, yeah, we got instruments. Our son got a drum set, and they were like, oh, we know. We know. And we're like, oh, drum set, yeah, I got gotcha. you. So there's these all these people reacting. And then there's the angels. And what are the angels' response? Their response is great joy. All right, the uh iPad shut off, so you're just going to have to help me with the the, uh, screen. So I want to go to, um, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Good news that will cause great joy for all people. Our culture is all about joy. I don't know if you noticed that, but our culture is all about that, especially this time of year. I mean, the amount of movies that are put out now, low-quality B-level movies that start with that, but they always end in a joyful. I mean, my wife and I were going through Netflix, right? And they give you a little description, you know, and it says Sarah and Ned are from two different parts of town, yet somehow they find each other, you know. And it's just that theme every time, over and over. It will make I can't I can't watch it. It's just it's. But we want people. Oh, that joy, that joy. We put it on coffee cups. We put it on t-shirts we put you can go to bed bath and beyond and here's a picture of a joy pillow you can get at bed bath and beyond $29.95 and you can see this oh you can okay if you can see it i can't see it you can see this joy pillow universally our culture wants this the number one emoji in the world is the tears of joy emoji it is the one that is used the most See, now you've learned something, right? This is something you can take home. Wisdom. See, everyone wants more joy. Everybody thinks that would be a good thing. Of course it would be a good thing. And whether or not you're a part of a faith community or not, everyone is for joy. We all get behind that. Not just a feeling, but a deep abiding joy. Um, I call it sometimes joy with legs, joy that can hold what's going on in your heart and your mind right now. Joy that can hold the weight of this world and the challenges that come with it. Joy that doesn't wane when our circumstances change. Because that's really where we struggle, right? Our happiness, our joy is very circumstantial. Despite our culture's commitment to that, at least at this time of year, for many people, they don't experience joy. They don't know what it is. They actually experience what? More anxiety, more activity an acute sense of loneliness, especially in this time, and more emptiness once it's all over. I remember talking to somebody a few years ago, and they were saying they went through all this Christmas stuff, they prepared really big, and family came, and it's a huge thing. And then everybody left, and it was like, that's it? Is that all there is? And sometimes we feel this letdown afterwards that just is, can be debilitating. And the way this verse is constructed, where he says "I've good news that causes great joy, many many versions say good news of great joy. But I was reading, and there's a couple of scholars that are saying the way this is formed in the Greek, it means it's not good news and great joy. It means there's this good news, and it flows, out of it flows great joy. The joy is connected to the good news, and that's why the, the writers at NIV, they tried to figure out how to connect this. So they called it good news that causes great joy because they're intimately connected. The good news is the thing that leads to the great joy. And this is important for us as we try to live it out. This is important for us as we try to walk this and become a part of this, put this into our lives. Because true joy, and we can go to that one on the screen, true joy is always a response Always intertwined with, always connected to the good news. I don't even know if I put that on, the, on this thing, so it may not be up there. But true joy is always a response. It's connected to. It's intertwined with the good news. You can't have one without the other. It flows. And that's very important for us to understand. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis, he writes about this in his book, Surprised by Joy. You know, C.S. Lewis had this brilliant mind. And he had a reputation for being, uh, even before he was a Christian, be, being unflinchingly honest. And in this book, he, he recounts his search for joy. And he spent a uh, lot of years of his life as a committed and thorough atheist. He grew up in the church, and he didn't like the rigidity. He didn't like the way it was done and what he saw there and experienced as a kid. And so he, he became an atheist. And in his book, he recounts how largely this word joy, it was joy that led him back to faith. He could find no other lasting source of joy outside the person of Jesus Christ. See, Lewis discovered, after years of searching, what the angels are saying is true. Good news that causes great joy. He realized, it's connected. I'm never going to find it apart from Jesus Christ. And so... As we look at the angels, the Scripture tells us the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, that's something we all know. It's easy to pass over. We're so used to it. But that word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. One of my Greek professors, um, he used to say, you've got to remember this word. This word is so key for you. And so he would have this drawing of a duck with a halo over it, and he called it his doxa duck. And then somebody made him one and everything. And so that to this day, I know exactly what I, I can remember 45, 50 years later, to this day, that duck with the halo, the doxa duck. It's a little bit like the aflac duck, but it had a halo. And he would say, I want you to remember. And he would go into detail on why this word is so important because the word doxa in the Greek it implies a weightiness, it implies a heaviness, it implies an abundance. And when we were looking in John 1, we saw that the glory came in the person of Jesus the brightness of God, the weight of God, the density of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God was all wrapped up in Jesus, the glory. And so we have this new reality. Jesus has started something that totally changes people. And so the question for us today is the source of this reality, of this good news. What makes it so good? You know, Isaac Watts wrote, a, wrote the song that we sing a lot of times, Joy to the World. In uh, 1719, he wrote that song. He wrote 750 songs. So if you're worried about how your life is going, look how many it took before he hit a big one, right? So, so don't feel too badly. But he wrote Joy to the World, and it is, it is the most published Christmas song in, in, in North America. It's an indicator of how starved our world is for joy. And he based it, interestingly, on Psalm 98, And Psalm 98 became the psalm that that keyed for him joy to the world. Psalm 98 says like this, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He has worked out his salvation. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, to all the nations. Remember when we were in John 1. This is for all people. He remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel And the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. And so it's this idea, it's joy. It's joy. He's saying this is what's happening. And Isaac Watts wrote about that because that psalm impacted us. And the psalmist wants us to see that there's a collision, there's a new reality that's coming. We talk about it as, in the past as we live in the world that's real and God is in the ideal, and now the ideal has burst through to the real, and there's this collision. There's a new reality. And this psalm talks about this. It talks about what Jesus will do, salvation for all the earth. He will go to the cross. He will overcome death. And His victory will be your victory. And He will extend this invitation to everyone, to shepherds, to Jews, to Gentiles, to the best people and to the worst people, to you and to me. It's for everyone. Psalm ninety-one is a 98 is revolutionary in that. It says it's for everyone. He will guarantee a love over your life unlike anything you have ever known or experienced before, a love that's unconditional, a love that knows no limits, a love that chases you down, a love that is faithful. He will not stop pursuing and breaking into this world until peace and shalom will be restored and every tear is gone and every heart is full. This is the new reality of what's happening in this world. This is what's happening. Beginning, we're hearing the faint rumblings in the Muslim world. People are waking up. Jesus is breaking through. This is what Peter is talking about. When he talks about life um, um, with God, it's marked by joy unspeakable and full of glory. Years ago, um, I started taking teenagers to Arizona to the Navajo reservation. Oh man, I can't even talk about this. And I remember one time, uh, one of our teenagers just sitting on a little bench, and a Navajo kid, maybe maybe middle schooler, comes up and says, are you going to come back next year? And our team said, yeah, I'm coming back. We're coming back. We come back every year. He said, why? And I'm just standing over. I was was making Kool-Aid for the the group in a big thing. You know, I'm making Kool-Aid, but I'm hearing this, and I'm going, oh, God, I'm going to start crying like a baby here. And he said, why? Why do you come back? And our team said, because we love you. And he said, and you know what else? God loves you. That's what makes this so important. God loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody. And he and this little kid just started talking, and he he led that little boy to the Lord right there, and I just, I'm stirring Kool-Aid and crying into the Kool-Aid. And I'm going, God, this is the most incredible moment. And I'm crying, and I'm happy, and I'm laughing. And I go, I, this kind of joy is almost, I can't almost handle it. Because I'm watching. I'm watching the ideal break into the real right before my eyes. Eternity is breaking into a situation right before my eyes. And I have the privilege of watching. I have the privilege of leading the group that went. And uh, joy unspeakable, Peter said, and full of glory, full of glory. That's that's what we're talking about here. That's what's going on. That's what he says. And now, man, because of this church, 100 kids are going to get a Christmas gift. They're going to get a backpack. And there are going to be these people that are going to tell them, this is because God loves you. We love you, and God loves you. And eternity is going to break into that too. And that's, that's the greatest thing we could do. There's nothing else worth doing. And so I want to take a moment and contrast that picture of joy with the joy that we often see in our culture. Often in our culture, joy is just kind of mentioned like a kind of a happiness or an emotion we feel in response to a particular circumstance in our life. And the problem is then, because we rely on circumstances, we become a victim of circumstances. Our circumstances dictate to us how we will feel because we have allowed that to happen. And we become dependent on something other than the good news that can cause great joy. Now, I I haven't done it very much lately, so I want to mention The Lord of the Rings. Um, I feel like I need to occasionally. Um, In the third book of the trilogy, J.R. Tolkien, uh, he he totally infuses his works with biblical ideas and references and meanings. And in one part, when um, things are just going horribly, and uh, one of the hobbits is with Gandalf and, and, and just saying, is this, the, is this the end of the world? Is this the end? And, and Gandalf um, looks at him and, and just starts laughing. And, and at first it's Pippin, and first Pippin seems a little bit put off by this. And then Tolkien writes this. This is how he writes it in the book. Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own, for the sound of that laugh had been gay and merry. Yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow. Though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all, under all there was a, a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth, joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, so what these angels know, and what the psalmist in Psalm 98 knows, and what Gandalf knows is that in spite of our circumstances, there's a greater, there's a truer reality that has come down to earth. There's good news that cannot be thwarted by circumstances or by emotion. It can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. It's spreading all over the world. Governments are fighting against it, and it can't be stopped. It won't be stopped. Now, we're not talking about a flippant, out-of-touch laughter, not a forced laughter. It's a laughter that rests in knowing that all will be well that joy is not an emotion that I have to conjure up, I have to manufacture in my life. I am held just as I am today, just where I am with the pervasive well-being of a God whose victory is my victory. I love that thought, whose victory is my victory. Euangelion, this word for good news, is is a word that's used in Greek literature sometimes for the idea of going and pronouncing a victory. And I've, I've talked about this some with you guys, but I just want to remind you. So that runners were sent after the battle and they would go to the nearby cities and they would say, we have won. The victory has been won. Those people have suffered. Some have died on your behalf. And now you reap the benefits of their victory. Peace." here that's what they would that would be the evangelion. that would be what these runners would announce uh that's what you know we have at least we don't know if it's totally historical philippides did when he ran from the battle of marathon and he ran 26 miles and that's where we get the marathon from right there and he went and he announced victory is won and then he died on the spot so that's why i don't run marathons <laughs> right there i think it's biblical but <laughs> but it, the key to that thought was. They came and they preached good news. A victory is one that you didn't earn. You didn't do it. Someone else did it for you. That's really good news. That's really good news. You reap the benefits as if you yourself had won the victory. That's what it's talking about there. In the the Old Testament, we talk about David and Goliath, champions fighting for for their tribe, champions who, if they win, It's as if the whole, everybody there had won. And then God tells us that Jesus is our champion. When he wins, we win as if we had done it. As if we had done it. We reap the benefits. And so the best part of good news is that it's for all people. It is for the person who feels like they can't get a break. Life has always been stacked against them. There's good news for you. For the person who feels like they're just waiting for something, waiting, looking at something in the future they want so bad, and they waiting and not being sure they're going to get it. The good news is the victory is for you. For those who are overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, or fear. For the parent who is just tired. For a woman who suffered a miscarriage and is living with great grief. For a man who feels like he's just living one day to the next without any greater sense of purpose in his life. There is good news for you. Good news that causes great joy. And so there is this reality that Jesus has broken down into our world. There is unspeakable joy for us. So three quick ideas on that and kind of practically thinking about applying it. The first one is we need to be saying yes to this new reality. The biblical word for saying yes is repentance, change of mind, to turn around. One scholar put it this way. He said it literally means to think differently after being with. To think differently after being with. That's, that's repentance. John was teaching. This is what John was teaching. He was teaching the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He was telling them, repent, turn around, say yes to the good news. The good news is the cause of joy. Repentance is the gateway that leads to it. Christmas brings us a new reality. The question is, will we say yes to God's new reality or will we just go on being the same? But we have to be honest because saying yes to something means, literally, we're saying no to something else. Saying no to our own kingdom, right? We're saying no to our own pride. Saying no to our own selfishness, our own indifference, our own entitlement. Saying no to the barriers of joy. Saying no to those things that rob us of joy. We talked about this not too long ago about comparison. Comparison is the robber of joy. Anytime you compare yourself with someone, you lose joy. You may compare yourself and think you're better than them, and then you get puffed up. There's no joy in that. You compare yourself to someone else and you think that you're worse than them. Then you're you just, I'm I'm worthless, I'm nothing. And there's no joy in that. Comparison is the robber of joy. So saying no to those things, those barriers of joy, saying yes, when does that begin? It begins when a person becomes a believer, understanding what Jesus has done for me and accepting it. Accepting him as my savior. But then, oftentimes and for Christians, we say, you know. I've done that, but I'm not living that kind of joy. I want that new reality. It means saying yes. It's not just something we do when we first decide to follow Jesus. It's an ongoing daily thing that has to become a part of our life. Of saying yes to him. Of getting up in the morning, and I mean, this is not necessarily what, but getting up in the morning and just saying, God, today is your day. I want to follow you today. Help me do that. Saying yes to him. Doing it with every every choice we make well, I let more of God's way into my life. And you just think about how cool it would be if we all made a commitment to that, people here, people at home. And this church was a place that was known for its great joy. And when people heard the word Christian, they they first and foremost would think of the joy that's associated with this place. Not, Not judgment, not some sort of agenda, but real joy. It's marked by forgiveness, selfless love, compassion, and concern for the least of these. That's why I'm so excited about some of the things we're doing. Because when we talk about the least of these, those are the people who can never tell us thank you. Those are the people who will never be able to come and repay you in any way. When we work with the port ministry with the homeless, they they may say thank you, but they can't repay us in any way. When you give gifts to children whose parents are in prison, they can't repay you in any way. When you send gifts to kids in an incredibly poor part of the world where For many of them, two-thirds of the Navajo Reservation, they don't have electricity and they don't have running water. It's amazing. That's a part of the United States of America. And you give them gifts that they can never pay you back. They will never be able. There's probably no chance they will ever say thank you to you. And that's what serving the least of these is all about. And that's where joy comes. That's where joy comes. So first of all, saying yes to this new reality. Second thing is, I, I just kind of called it creating space. Create space. In obedience, the angels came down and the glory just leaked out of them. God's glory just overwhelmed the whole situation. We need to, we need to create our, for ourselves the opportunity for great joy. We can't wait for joy to happen. You can't say, God, I want to serve you. Okay, joy me, man, joy me. It just doesn't work that way. Because we don't wait for the joy to happen and then do something. We need to create the opportunity. We need to serve. We need to sacrifice. We need to love. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, what he was talking about, at least especially at the very beginning, is this is what my new reality looks like. These are the people I bless. These are the people I bless. Yeah. In, in one instance where it's run down, it says, Blessed are the poor. One says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This, this to me is just another way of saying the least of thee. These are the people I bless. I want to bless these people. Are we doing that? And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. That is, those, those who are going through maybe a tragedy. And God says, I want them to know I walk with them. And we can be those kind of people that walk with people in tragedy. Blessed are the meek, those that are humble, not boastful. Those that are outward-centered, not inward-centered. It's not all about me. He says, those are the people I bless. I want to be that kind of person. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you are hungry and you thirst, you work hard at figuring out where you can get water and food. That's just the way it is. And if you've ever been in a place where water and food is scarce, you can see how hard people work. And he says, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, those that are full of mercy. Full of mercy. God says, those are the people that I bless. Blessed are the pure in heart. They have no guile. They have no agenda. They have no ulterior motives. The pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, the people of peace. What is that? What is a peacemaker? That is a person who has the ability and the willingness to listen to both sides, uncritically, just listen to both sides and try to find common ground for them. That's what a peacemaker is. And he says, that's the kind of people I want. Not people who, who, who ruin peace. I want people who create peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. If we live for God, there will be pushback. There will sometimes be persecution. Sometimes even from people who are Christians. And he says, you are blessed. You are blessed when that happens. These are the people. See? And when, we, when I talk about creating space, it's this idea that we become involved. We try to become people like this, or we become involved with people like this. We look for opportunities. We create opportunities. Sometimes you can just create opportunities. And it may be something as simple. It may be something, and I'm, I mentioned this one other time. I'm, I'm stuck on cookies. That's my problem. It is bake some cookies and give them to your neighbors. Just say, you know, there's a lot of negativity in this world, but here's some chocolate chip cookies. Nothing's more positive than that, right? And just do something out of the blue. We there's some little kids in our neighborhood, and and uh, our our doors kind of set back some from our garage, and our house is set back some. And I think they're afraid to come to our door because they leave candy canes on everybody's doors. And for us, they leave one on on the door handle of our car because it's out by the street. So I think, oh, what's our reputation in this neighborhood? I wonder, you know, the mean people or something. I don't know. But they just do it, and it's the sweetest thing. And it's kind of cool. And they, they, they do it just a couple times during the Christmas season in our neighborhood. Ideas where we can create something so that we can be these types of people, peacemakers, people who are full of mercy, people who have no agenda. And he said, "And when we do that, there's a joy with that. There's a joy with that. Third thing is pay attention. Pay attention and look for the doxa. Look for the glory. Follow that duck, right? See how God is revealing his glory in your life. That you might have missed. In this passage, it says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which, which were just as they had been told. See, after, after Jesus, they went right back to their ordinary life. They went back to the same jobs. They went back to the same old sheep. They went back to the same night shift. But they were different. They were praising. They were glorifying. They have a new vision of life. They see things differently. You know, we sang... We sang um, that every uh, burning star is a signal fire of grace. And you guys know, I, I, a while back, because I love that phrase so much, I showed a, a video from part of Lord of the Rings where they light the signal fires across the mountaintops. It's just a stunning picture. And just a saying, every time I see that, I think of signal fires of grace. I can't help it. I think of signal fires of grace, and I get chills from it because it's so cool. Every star. Is a signifier of grace. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. Pay attention. We need to look for Him working all around us because He is. And then thankfulness comes. And then joy comes, and we see His glory. When I, uh, when I went for my mom's funeral, it's in, it's in Alabama, right, on the, right by Mobile Bay. And my wife and I were um, driving along, and I looked across the bay, and the sun was setting, and I said, that's just unbelievable. Just this sun was so huge, and it's setting. And then, so the light is streaking across this huge bay. And, and I stopped, and people, people were pulling over and watching because it was such a stunning sunset. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, this has been so hard, God, but it's like, this is so beautiful. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Even this morning, out standing out there with Mason and Sherry. And Mason said, I guess you guys already saw the sun, the, uh, the, um, the rainbow, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was just looking that way. And then I saw it and was like, oh, this is so cool. This is, you know. And when we begin to see even the little things God does to create beauty, We start being thankful, and that wakes us up to the reality that God is working all around us. He's showing us His glory. He's showing us His glory, and His glory brings joy, even in the simplest of things. So say yes to this new reality that we're in. Tell God yes. That's that word for repentance, basically. Tell God yes. Then create space and pay attention because He's working. I mean, even, as, even as we talk about this morning, what he's doing in, in the Muslim world, it's astounding. He's working. He's working. What, what a testament to his glory. The good news. The good news that brings great joy. And as we spend time on that, that, that can be an amazing thing for us. Pay attention. I can tell you, one of the, one of the things I'm doing, this is just a little thing. I, I've never really done much of an Advent. A, advent. advent. Advent thing, and um, um, Jose, our, our associate pastor, told me he was going to do an Advent series um, online on our church website. It is really good. It is really worth a read. Each one is about a page, not, not and it's got pictures, so it's not even a whole page, but very thoughtfully written. Some some interesting insights, and and I, I'm using that as as a part of my time trying to to do these things to pay attention. To, to look and look for God and see Him and, and to look at Advent in a way that I I'm ashamed to say I, I'm a pastor, and I had never really some of the things he's talking about, I'm just like, oh, that's really good. Why didn't I think of that? You know? it's, it's, it's really good. I, w- I would encourage you to do that. Or find something, little ways, little ways, that, that you can start to say yes to this new reality, that you can create space and you can pay attention and see what God is doing, because he is working. And if we're not seeing it, it's because we're not looking well. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You as we see the reaction in this instance of the shepherds. They went, they obeyed, they went, they saw. And then they went back to their regular lives, but they praised and glorified You, and they were changed because of it. Lord, we want to be changed, and we get in our way so much. But Father, we pray that You would work, that You would give us strength, that your spirit would be working right now in our hearts and our minds to cause us to be more awake to what you're doing, cause us to be more open to serving and loving others in ways that are tangible and real. And in doing that, God, we just thank you for this good news that causes great joy that the Son of God entered this world, lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserve to die, and rose from the dead, purchased our salvation, full and free, and gives it to us because he loves us. God, we thank you for that love that causes great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.